Hey friend, Min Huang here of Life Giving Motherhood. I am a Charlotte Mason homeschool mom of four children, plus my friend's two children. And I have been a devotee of Charlotte Mason for over a decade now. I have read her volumes over and over again. They have been life-changing for myself and for my family. It is definitely a resource that I have been sharing and recommending to all of my mama friends especially. Therefore, a resource I would like to see freely made available to every mother, to every family. I have been leading a Charlotte Mason Moms Book Club locally. Many of us are ESL for the past several years. And so for my book club, which is quite diverse, I have been reading them aloud and recording them for my Charlotte Mason moms. I realized that it would be wonderful to have these recordings made freely available to every family out there and to have it all located easily, conveniently in one place. And the idea of a podcast came to mind last year. So here it is. I am beginning with volume four ourselves because half of my moms have started reading that and they've been requesting for me to record it for them. As well, it is a book that was written for students and my students are reading ourselves as of this year. So it's great to, for them to be able to hear it read aloud while following along in their books. After ourselves, I'll make up my way to volume five and then volume six before I loop back around to volumes one, two, and three. I hope this is helpful to you as well, dear friend. Welcome back. We are continuing in Ourselves, part three, The House of Heart, chapters three and four. So chapter three, Love's Lords in Waiting, Benevolence. Reform the world or bear with it. It is usual to speak as if benevolence meant nothing more than the giving of money or other help to persons in distress. But it is possible to give a great deal of such help without being benevolent and to be benevolent without giving much material help. To be benevolent is to have goodwill towards all men. The wise emperor Marcus Aurelius described the lowest form of benevolence when he said, Men are born to be serviceable to one another. Therefore, either reform the world or bear with it. The very least we can do for the world is to bear with it. The world, in this case, being the people in it who are, for any reason, disagreeable to us. But benevolence makes us able not only to bear with the people who annoy us and irritate us, but to give them sincere and hearty liking. Perhaps there is nobody whom we should not be able to love if we really knew him, because all persons are born with the beautiful qualities of mind and heart we have spoken of in a greater or less degree. And though the beauty of a person's nature may be like a gem buried under a dust heap, it is always possible to remove the dust and recover the gem. A debased criminal has, possibly, a wife who loves him, not because she loves his baseness, but because she sees the possibilities of beauty in him. His faults are not the whole of a person. The benevolent perceive that obvious and unpleasant faults are no more compared with the whole human being than his spots are compared with the sun. So they have no difficulty in bearing with faults or, what is better, trying to correct them and at the same time giving just the same hearty liking or love to the person as if those faults were not present. This is the sort of benevolence that parents show to their children, that brothers and sisters show to one another, that is due from friend to friend, from neighbor to neighbor, 
and in a gradually widening circle to all the people who come in contact with or whose works and ways are brought before us. Benevolence does not use strong language about the joiner when he comes across a door that will not shut or a window that will not open. He knows that the joiner is at bottom a fine fellow who has probably not been put in the way of making the best of himself and so is content with slipshod work. Therefore, the gaping door and immovable window stir benevolence up to bring better thoughts before people generally so that other joiners may turn out better work. The Affairs of Goodwill You will observe that benevolence is by no means a lazy lord of the bosom. He can put up with things done amiss and with manners that displease him, but he cannot possibly let the people alone who behave amiss. He likes them too well to endure that they should spoil themselves by this or the other failing. He cannot endure either that people should grow up in ignorance or that there should be sickness or suffering or friendlessness in the world. Therefore, his hands and heart are always busy with some labor of help. Benevolence thus has many functions, but wherever his countenance turns, he presents the same aspect. Benevolence is always gracious, simple, pleasant, and accessible, because he so heartily likes all men and women, boys and girls. He is indefatigable too, because with so many friends who have so many needs, there is much for him to do. But all that he does gives him pleasure, so it is easy for him to smile as he goes. The Foes of Goodwill What a blessed world we should have if the spring of benevolence had free play in every human heart. But a whole troop of demons obstruct every movement of this beneficent Lord. There is fastidiousness which finds offense in all ways which are not exactly our own ways. There is exigence on the watch to resent slight or trespass, however small or unintentional. Censoriousness is at hand to blame without thought of improving. Selfishness is ready to occupy the whole field of the heart so that no corner of space is left for all those concerns of other people with which benevolence is engaged. Slothfulness is there to simulate goodwill with that easy good nature which takes matters pleasantly so long as it is not required to take trouble about anything. Tolerance is that form of good nature which is as easy with regard to other people's opinions as good nature is with regard to their actions. To tolerate or bear with the principles and opinions which rule the lives of others is a part of indifference and not of goodwill. Candor, fair mindedness to other people's thoughts is what benevolence offers. The Peace of Goodwill Benevolence has so many functions that we can only notice a few of them, but it is well we should know that it means at least an active and general goodwill. When we realize this, the angelic message. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men of goodwill will carry some meaning for us. Chapter 4 Love's Lords in Waiting Sympathy Sympathy with one, a key to all. Sympathy is a lord of the bosom who is rather unfairly treated. He is made to adopt a sentimental character and go about the world wiping tears and soothing distresses, and this is supposed to be the whole of his work. But sympathy is comprehension, and he reaps harvests of joy for himself, though occasionally he must sorrow. For to understand one human being so completely that you feel his feelings and think his thoughts is really like gaining possession of a new world. It is gaining the power of living in another's life. It is as if the heart got room to expand, and one began to understand the large life of the angels of God. Occasionally, we have an almost perfect sympathy with one person and we allow it to become exclusive. We know that one to the exclusion of all others. 
but that is turning to selfish uses a gift meant for the general good. Each trait we know in one person should be to us as a key wherewith to open the natures of others. If we find that it is possible to wound one person with the word, beat one person with a look, let that knowledge make us tender and delicate in our dealings with all people. For how do we know how much power we have to hurt? If we know one person who grows pale at a lofty thought, whose tears come at the telling of a heroic action, let us learn from that that these are the thoughts and actions which have power to move us all. Therefore, we must give freely of our best without the supercilious notion that so-and-so would not understand. If music, poetry, art give us joy, let us not hesitate to present these joys to others. For indeed, those others are all made in all points like as we are, though with a different experience. The orator whose sympathy is awake appeals to the generosity, delicacy, courage, loyalty of a mixed mob of people, and he never appeals in vain. His sympathy, his comprehension, has discerned all these riches of the heart in the unpromising crowd before him. And, like Ariel, released from his tree prison, a beautiful human being leaps out of many a human prison at the touch of this key. A Lever to Raise Sympathy is an eye to discern, a lever to raise, an arm to sustain. The service to the world that has been done by the great thinkers, the poets and the artists, and by the great doers, the heroes, is that they have put out feelers, as it were, for our sympathy. A picture or poem or the story of a noble deed finds us, we say. We too think that thought or live in that action and immediately we are elevated and sustained. This is the sympathy we owe to our fellows, near and far off. If we have anything good to give, let us give it, knowing with certainty that they will respond. If we fail to give this sympathy, if we regard the people about us as thinking small, unworthy thoughts, doing mean, unworthy actions, and incapable of better things, we reap our reward. We are really, though we are not aware of it, giving sympathy to all that is base in others and thus strengthening and increasing their baseness. At the same time, we are shedding ourselves into habits of hard and narrow thinking and living. Virtue goes out of us. This greater office of sympathy, this power to see, to elevate, and to sustain, must not be lost sight of when it is the sorrow, anxiety, or suffering of another which calls it forth. We must see the calamity as the sufferer sees it, feel it as he feels it, if in less degree. We must suffer also, or we have nothing to give. It was said of our Lord that virtue went out of him when he healed, and it is only as virtue, that is, our manhood, our strength, our life, goes out of us that we have power to help and heal. A Spurious Sympathy there is a spurious sympathy which is very popular with those who give and those who take. Indeed, it is a bid for popularity. The sympathizer sees, but does not see deep enough. He sees that the egotism of the sufferer may be comforted in much the same way as an unwise nurse will comfort a child who has knocked his head against the table. Naughty table, says nurse, and whips the table. Just so does the would-be sympathizer reproach the cause of suffering and enfeeble the sufferer by weak pity, leading him to pity himself. Self-pity is perhaps the last misfortune that can fall upon any man, and it is a degradation of sympathy when it goes to make the sufferer aware of himself and not to raise him out of himself. 
the hardness which attempts to brace him without sharing his suffering is hardly worse than this spurious sympathy, and it does less harm because the false ring of it is more easily discerned. Tact. Tact is almost another form of the word sympathy. Both words employ the sense of touch to figure our perception of one another. Tact perceives where a word will grate, where a gesture would irritate, where words of sympathy are obtrusive, where a smile and a kindly look are better than a spoken word. Tact is commonly the result of good breeding, but the truest tact is an expression of sympathy which perceives what is going on in another mind. Perhaps to tact belong the lesser things of sympathy, the active interest of cooperation in the pursuits and hobbies of the people we live with, the passive interest of a ready ear. An attentive and differential listener performs some of the highest offices of sympathy. He raises and sustains the person to whom he listens, increases the self-respect of him who has done something or seen something or suffered something which he wishes to tell. This is true service because we all, even the youngest, think too little of ourselves and for that reason have not the courage of that which is possible to us. Demons attending this Lord of Virtue. We cannot detail all the offices of sympathy, but must consider a few of the demons attending this Lord of Virtue. Chief of these, and entirely fatal, is the self-occupation born of egotism. He whose eye is fixed upon himself, his rights and his needs, his desires and his requirements, his powers or his weaknesses, his successes or his failures, his worth or his unworthiness, has no more room for sympathy within him than a full goblet has for wine. The passive manifestation of egotism is indifference. Among its active forms are credulous and solicitous vanity, dislike, antipathy. If you've enjoyed this episode, I invite you to give a five-star rating so more people can find Charlotte Mason's volumes. Also, if you are interested in studying Charlotte Mason's volumes, as well as growing in your own spiritual disciplines and life-giving habits to form a gospel-centered home culture, I invite you to check us out at life-givingmotherhood.com. All moms all over the world are invited. Thank you. I'll see you next time.